Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. I'm excited to speak on the very first of the seven victories, and this one is so timely for us. The question that I want us to just consider today is, what does the resurrection of Jesus have to say to the fear of death? Because all of us will face our own fears of our own mortality. We'll face the fear of death. Now, before we dive into scripture, I just want you to think with me for a a moment. I I don't know if you've ever thought about the history of death. You see, the, the evolutionary narrative that has become so common in the age that we live in now tells us that death reigned from the beginning. Here's what I mean. It says that these simple organisms kind of came to be and that they struggled against death. They struggled for life against the odds of death and that only the fittest, only the strongest survived and compounded over millions of years that that uh, turned into people with arms and legs and eyeballs and brains and hopes in dreams, and I have a hard time buying that story, but death reigned in the beginning. The biblical narrative is very, very different. The biblical narrative says that life reigned in the beginning. It says that in the beginning was God, and that 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 God was full of life. He's the author of life, the source of life, and that he was the creator, and that he spoke worlds into being. He spoke our world, galaxies, the universe. He speaks the earth. He speaks all the living things, the grass and the the animals and the fish and the birds. You see, life reigned in the beginning, and the crown of his creation was a man and a woman who he put in a garden, and there was no death in the story yet. You know how that story went, right? The serpent makes his way into that garden, the serpent that we know now as that character is Satan. He's the devil, the deceiver, the liar. He spins his web of deception over Eve, and he questions her on the one rule that God had given about two trees in the middle of that garden called Eden. And she tells him, if we touch that fruit, if we taste it, we will, we, we will certainly die. And he says, no, you will not die. You will not certainly die. In fact, God knows that when you do, you're gonna be like him. And he spins that web of deception and she sees that it's delicious and she thinks it's desirable for acquiring wisdom and she takes and eats and then now, In this story that begins with life, death casts its shadow over all humanity and every one of us faces our own mortality. And we feel that in a moment like this in our world. 
We see it in each other's faces when we go out for groceries or, or an essential item. We all face the fear of death. And I, I just want us to look at a passage in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And there's a phrase in here that really got my attention this week. In verse 14, it says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, talking about our bodies, Jesus also shared in these, meaning he had a physical body just like us so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. What we celebrated on Good Friday, that Jesus conquered the evil one through his cross the one who held the power of death, that ancient serpent from the garden. And get this, verse 15, and free those who were held in slavery. That's a strong word. Held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Have you ever thought about that before? How the fear of death actually enslaves us? I like how Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says that he freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Friends, this is our human condition. And what I'm not gonna say today is shame on you for ever having a fear of death because we all face it. What I want to say to you is this, is that God has done something in response to our fear of death. Think about it. Casey and I with our boys, they love playing outside, especially right now in the midst of not being able to go anywhere else. And we tell them over and over again, look both ways before you cross the street. Why? <laughs> we don't want them to get hit by a car and die. Right. Why, why do we tell our kids, don't you dare go near that pool without an adult nearby? Right? We, we don't want them to drown. Why do we lather sunscreen all over them so that they're like little white creatures on the beach? It's because we don't want their skin to, to later in life have cancer and, and it creates something that could kill them. Right? We are constantly thinking about managing death. Maybe like me, you've had a sleepless night or two thinking about your own health or, or, or you've, you've gone to a doctor and, and you're waiting for a test result. You're waiting for that radiology result. You're, you're waiting for that blood test result and you feel your mortality. Maybe you've battled cancer. Maybe you've battled an illness and, and it was just so terrible and so hard that you just felt so fragile. Like life was easily snuffed out. You, you felt the fear of death. It makes us anxious about aging. It makes us fearful of coronavirus disease. It, it makes us fear disasters. It enslaves us. It keeps us from living a free, joyful, expectant of hope, life. It enslaves us and we all face it. The second 
passage that I want us to look at. The, the one that I want us to kind of spend some time in is in 2 Corinthians 5. If you want to go there with me right now, if you have a copy of the scriptures there at home, if you've got an app on your phone or whatever, if you have a Bible you're pulling out, awesome. We're also going to have it on the bottom of the screen for you to read along with me. But this is the Apostle Paul, and I'll just give you the context. Paul's talked about having treasure in jars of clay. What he's talking about is our lives being fragile, like a jar of clay that if you were to push it over, it would break. He says a phrase in there, he says, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed. He's talking about the fragility of human life, but he also says in the, in the portion before this, he says that for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. So he's, he's talking about the, the, the fragileness of our life and the power of Easter, the power of resurrection. And then he drops into this portion, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. He says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. Get this phrase, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a down payment. Verse six, read a little bit further with me. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Last verse, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, talking about the fragileness of our human lives, this jar of clay that, that outwardly we're wasting away, and talking about the power of resurrection, we know the one that, that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us with him. He begins to talk about the tent. Now, I found this to be a little bit humorous because Paul's a tent maker, this, this is his side hustle. And so when he's talking about how our lives will wear out and, and how um, it, it will, it's temporary, it's gonna fall apart, it, it could be destroyed, he, he likens it to the product that he's making. Paul may have been a, a great tent maker, but he's a terrible marketer, okay? He's, he's comparing our lives, the temporariness of our lives to a tent. And he says to us, it's just a tent, but we have a building from God. Here's the, the first point that I, I want you to understand today is that because of Jesus's empty tomb, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. I know most of you, you've heard that. You know that. And sometimes when you hear that over and over again, you forget 
how good that news really is. But in a moment like this, when you know that life is fragile, I want you to find hope today that you have been given eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he's Lord and Savior and Master and Messiah, you have eternal life in him because of Easter. Paul says we have a building from God and, and the plain spoken, repeated, clear offer of Jesus over and over and over again is eternal life. It's what he said. He said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, if Jesus had said stuff like that and then was killed on a Roman cross and then stayed dead, guess what? None of us would be quoting him today. I definitely wouldn't be sitting in this chair talking to you because he would be lost in the sands of time. But Jesus, the one who had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up, has the power to give you and I eternal life. That's what he's come to offer you. And it's really, really good news. That eternal life begins the very moment that, you're, that your heart comes alive, that, that you're born again, that the light bulb comes on and you believe in Jesus. It starts there and it never, ever stops. It's a life that is eternal. And he gives us his spirit as a down payment, meaning there's more to come. Casey and I will uh, take our kids camping on occasion and we've done the tent camping with our boys. And I'll be honest, I'm more of a glamper. Like I would prefer to be like maybe in a really nice RV somewhere, but you know, we got to rough it with the boys and get them out there outdoors. And so we'll take him and we'll set up the tent and we'll put it out there on the campsite and we wrestle with it. And I, I'll be honest with you, about a day in, I'm ready to go home right? I, I, I've stayed maybe two nights and you know where the air mattress starts to lose the air. You're really uncomfortable. You're starting to miss running water. You're starting to miss having uh, like real walls and a roof and all the accommodations of modern life. Like there's a point when you're ready to go home. Like that was fun for a minute, but let's go home. And Paul says that we groan that this earthly body, it's temporary. It's not meant to live in eternally, but that there's, there's another building that God's given us and it's so much greater than the tent. Have you ever longed for home like that? Have you ever longed for heaven like that? Have you ever groaned? Have you ever just had that desire in you for home? Here's the second point I want you to understand today. Because of Jesus' empty tomb, we see death differently. It sounds bizarre what, what Paul says in here. I mean, the, the words that he, he uses here in verses six through eight, he says, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. 
Verse seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. One of the most uh, um, widely used verses, it's in the context of life and death. Verse eight, in fact, we are confident. We are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I mean, call the psychiatrist. Homeboy's talking crazy right here. He says he would prefer to be away from the body. Now, there's only two reasons why a person would ever prefer to leave this earthly life. The first one is extreme hopelessness. It's just on my heart today as we were singing that song, Because He Lives, Life is Worth the living, I just want you to know, if you are in extreme hopelessness, I just want you to hang on. I want you to hold on, and I want you to lift your eyes to the the empty tomb today. Because the second reason why a person would want to leave this earthly life is extreme hopefulness. To be extremely hopeful, he says, we would prefer, it'd be my preference. If, if I could have my way, here's what I would prefer to do. I would prefer to be home with the Lord. It's what I long for. You see, the empty tomb transfers us from hopeless to hopeful. He fills us with joyful expectation that there's something better than the tent. There's something greater. There's something coming. There's something bigger. It's, it's so much better than this world that we're living in right now. It's an eternal dwelling in the heavens. Because of Jesus' empty tomb, we see death differently now. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and get this, to die is gain. Now, if you're living according to that evolutionary story that's common in our age, it's woven throughout all of our TV and books and movies and science and classrooms, then here's the deal. If this is all you got, you better try to survive, right? Because there's nothing else coming for you. And you're gonna spend your life struggling against death, just trying to hold it at bay, trying to keep it from snuffing out your life. But if you're gonna live by a better story, if you're gonna live according to the biblical story that Jesus confirmed, then there's great hope for you. You can see death not as this tragic ending, but as a new beginning. It's a threshold that we cross over from a fallen world into a perfect heavenly home. We have a building from God and we see death differently. Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he's comforting some believers who lost loved ones and he just reminds them, he comforts them with this. Look, we don't grieve like people who do not have hope. Meaning, (laughs) if you've lost someone close to you, if you've lost a spouse, if you lost a mom, a dad, a child, I want you to know we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We know there's more than this fallen world that we live in. And we have joyful expectation of what's to come. We see death differently. My last point for you, 
verse nine and 10. Paul says, therefore, whether we are at home or away, no matter what, if we're home here, if we're away from here, here's what we do. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's my third point for you. Because of Jesus's empty tomb, what we do here matters there. Let me explain what I mean. If there's no resurrection, then it doesn't matter what you do here, Right? I mean, this is it. You do whatever you want because this is all you have. But if Jesus is alive, which he is, then what you do here matters because there is something beyond this. Paul says, here's what we do now. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him. He, he uses a phrase, we are confident. And then he says, oh, by the way, we're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't know about you. When I hear that phrase, I don't know if confidence, the first word that comes to my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna stand before God. Like after this, I'm gonna stand before the judgment seat. Like I, I'm starting to get a little more fear of death. But Paul, he uses the phrase, we are confident, And we would prefer to go home. We'd prefer to be with the Lord. How in the world could he say that? He's either, number one, incredibly arrogant. Like, man, I'm I'm perfect. I'm gonna go stand before God and I'm good. Or he's incredibly confident in what Jesus has done for him. It's the only way. He's either arrogant, full of himself, or he's confident in what Jesus has done. Friends, you can be confident of what Jesus has done for you. And when you believe, like, like when you believe that he really is the one who who died and rose again 2,000 years ago, the one who, who has marked all of time of BC and AD, the one that um, has transformed the world, the one whose message is still being proclaimed all over the world, that one Jesus has done it all for you. He's come to free those who were held in slavery by the fear of death and the resurrection of Jesus has secured eternal life for you and it's secured hope for you. We can be confident only because of Jesus, only because of what he's done. And his resurrection power opens up new possibilities for how we live. Through that spirit that's in us, we can begin to live in a way that's pleasing to him. How do we please God? Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you wanna please him, here's how we begin. We begin with faith. So if you're listening to this, you're watching this 
at home. If you have not placed faith in Jesus, I want you to make today your day. Maybe the spirit of God is stirring in you and he is, he is drawing your heart and you know that he's speaking to you. Do not shut out his voice. I want you to listen to him. I want you to hear the love of a father who calls you, the love of a father who would lay down a son for you. And I want you in, in your own heart to surrender your heart and your life to him. I want you to pray. I want you to invite Jesus into your life to make him the Lord of your life because when that happens, a new life's gonna enter you. It's called resurrection power. It's the power of Easter and it's gonna fill you with hope. Make today your day. And remember that pleasing him is way more important than preserving a tent. Lastly, um, I know many of you, like me, have been following the headlines. I've been reading every day the headlines of what's happening in the world right now. And I was just thinking about headlines, and I read one yesterday, and the headline was, Worst Yet to Come. I was thinking about that question. What does the resurrection have to say to the fear of death? What would that headline read? I believe the headline reads this, the best is yet to come. The best for you is yet to come. If you have made Jesus Christ your Lord, the best is yet to come. I think the headline would read, coronavirus loses, resurrection wins. I think the headline would read, cancer loses, resurrection wins. I believe the headline would read, heart disease loses, resurrection wins. Aging loses, resurrection wins. Diabetes loses, resurrection wins. Fear of death loses, resurrection wins. It would read, death defeated, Jesus alive. Let's pray together this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.